0: So we're looking at uh, the, the foundation of our fellowship with God. And he, John uh, talks about three truths of God in, in, in this epistle. That He is light, that He is righteousness, and that He is love. So what we are now doing is we're looking at God as light. So we've already talked about His glory. We've already talked about His majesty. We've already talked, in fact, last week we talked about His holiness. And uh, so now we're going to look at the uh, fourth thing in regards to God's light. I also mentioned two um, principles of fellowship with God. Uh, One, if we fail to hold God in high esteem in our hearts and our minds, then our lives will reflect this failure by our walking in darkness rather than walking in light. And then last week I said unless we personally concede to the holiness of God and that he cannot fellowship with darkness, then we are not likely to be overly disturbed about the wicked conditions that surround us, nor of our own carnal state of mind and practice, nor the many compromises that we have made to maintain our comfortable lives within this darkness. And so I'm also going to give you today a third principle in regards to our fellowship with God in regards to His His being light. And so the fourth thing, this will be on your study guide, uh, God is in... God is in... His light is in reference to His self-revealing nature. His self-revealing nature. So I guess you could put His... Revelation of Himself. So that'd be the fourth thing, the fourth thing about God is light. It's the, it's the nature of light to illuminate and reveal. So also it is the nature of God to reveal Himself to His creation. He, he makes Himself known to men. He makes Himself known to men. Whether or not men are aware of this or not, He is always making Himself known to men. And we're going to talk about that. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, it says, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, He says, thou shalt find Him, if thou seek Him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So it's not like God is hiding somewhere. It's not like God has squirreled up in a cave somewhere and you've got to go search him. He's, he's there. He's there. What is, the, what is the problem? It's the problem of the heart. It's the problem of the heart. John chapter 1, verses 17 through 18 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared Him. He hath declared Him. Uh, this word declare in, in John one eighteen, uh, He hath declared Him, He, Jesus, hath declared Him the Father, means to unfold... Before the eyes of others for those eyes to see. Okay? So Jesus unfolded through his teaching. He unfolded through his life. And he made known to others the Father. Okay? He made known others the Father by his teaching and and by his life. The Word, which was in the beginning with God, became flesh, and by His teaching and by His life, He revealed the Father before men. That's what He said in John 14, 7 through 9. If He had known me, He should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know Him and have seen Him. Philip saith unto Him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Verse 9, Jesus saith unto Him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. So Jesus Christ came and revealed the Father to men. And it's this truth, this very truth about Jesus Christ, that that Christ is God manifest in the flesh, that the Gnostics deny, and they seek to disprove it or distort it. They seek to disprove it or distort it. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, you know, a lot of folks out there are are distorting this truth about Jesus Christ. In fact, a sure way to identify a Gnostic is to ask him, what is it that you believe about Jesus Christ? That's a sure way to to pinpoint a a Gnostic. And if they hem and haw and they begin to give you this big, long dissertation of this and that, and well, chances are you're dealing with a Gnostic. Unless they come right out and say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh who came and died for mankind's sin. Unless they make that statement... You know, chances are you're, you're dealing with a Gnostic. If you go up and ask, let's say, a Jehovah Witness about who is Jesus Christ or a Mormon, then they'll give you... They may say, well, he's the Son of God, but then if you dig deeper, they've got all this minutia. Minutia. So God... God is light, and the very nature of his very nature is that he he wants to reveal himself that's what that 's what light is there 's a revealing property about light. I read an article I may have shared this with you once before, but I read an article years ago in National Geographic, and I think the title of the article was "The Power of light and um, It was an interesting article because, you know, all these research scientists and stuff who study light, you know, they talked about, um, you know, the potentials of light and the benefits of light and all the things, all the possibilities uh, of light. And in fact, a lot of things that was in this article, and I bet it was like 15 years ago I read this article, but a lot of things that they were um, foreseeing today we're benefiting from. You know, a lot of things that they talked about, you know, the potential of this, the potential of it. We're benefiting now in medicine. We're benefiting now in, in industry, in communications. So the very things that they saw, we now are benefiting from. But the one thing that I remember out of this article that I thought was kind of interesting is that one of the physicists said this about light. He said, it, it's as if someone had created light for the sole purpose of communication. Huh. Yeah. Exactly. That's God is light. Because he wants man to know him. Psalm 36.9 says, For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Now how is it that in thy light shall we see light? Does anybody want to venture an answer to that question? The answer is laying right in your lap. Right? Psalms 119.105 Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's God's light for you and for me. 2 Peter 1. Verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Folks, we are living in a dark place. And the only sure light that we have is sitting in your lap. God's word. God's word. So God is light. So God seeks to communicate to us. He he does. He wants to show himself to us. And he's done this by his word that he has preserved for us. And there are folks out there trying to take that light away from you. Saying, hey, this light's a better light. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. So on your study guide... Here is a major clue to walking in the light as he is in the light. Walking in agreement to his word. His word that is our light that shineth in a dark place. So the word is agreement. Hebrews 1.1 says, God who had sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And so what I want to talk about... Um, According to God's word, God's light, God has revealed himself to his creation in five diverse and sundry ways. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at today. So on your study guide, the first way that God has revealed himself to man is through the conscience of man. Through the conscience of man, Romans two fourteen through fifteen. Now I put those uh, scripture passages, the, the address, right? Some of them. Some of them. So if you happen to see a, an address there, you know what that should be a clue for you to do. Mm-hmm. Look it up. <laughs> Get to the page. So anyway, Romans two fourteen through fifteen says, "For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which shew the work of the law written in their hearts; their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or ex- or else excusing." one another now notice what Paul says here he says even though the Gentiles don't have the ten commandments like on the stone tablets that uh, he had given to the Jews yet Paul is saying by nature in their conscience they know of this law and they observe this law this law is on the on the consciences of everybody. And then like the Jews who had the law written, the law of Moses written for them, these Gentiles were living according to the law written on their conscience. Written on their conscience. Now, anthropologists, I think that's the right discipline. These are guys who study man. Anthropologists study themselves in circles trying to explain how these moral laws came about because they recognize that these that there's this moral law. And so they go around and around in circles trying to figure out, you know, where did this law evolve from? Where did it come from? But the, the simple answer is this. The moral laws observed by every culture and practiced by every, by men, God Himself had imprinted this on their conscience. God had imprinted this upon the mind of man, and this is a perennial debate among your geneticists and your anthropologists and your and your philosophers and all these other disciplines of science. You know, where did this all come from? Where did this all come from? Now, those who oppose what the Bible teaches us about man, they they make the argument that if a moral code is is programmed in man, then uh, how can we judge someone if they are pre-programmed to become a Hitler or a Jeffrey Dahmer? Uh, If moral truths are a product of what they call a genetic encoding, Uh, then, Then they say, then we must surrender the right to find fault with people for their wrong behavior. Under this view of morality, behaviors cannot be any more blameworthy than hair color. Now, are we not hearing something very similar to that today? We are. That's why people are walking out of stores with their arms full of stuff without paying for it. There's this there's this concept today that oh they can't help themselves and so we defund the police and all this other craziness is going on. Well, the answer to their question is very simple. In this um, moral encoding, somebody had uh, entered in some malware that corrupted it, and we what do we call this malware? Sin. That's the problem. That's the problem. It's sin. I mean, even the most ardent skeptics admit that we are merely a product of our genetic encoding. But this still leaves us with the unanswered question, you know, that we still have to deal with in regards to this encoding. Where did this come from? Right? What's the source of this moral encoding? What is the source? Where where does it come from? Our DNA is information rich. I read a book, I meant to bring it to prove to you that I do actually read these books. But I read a book, uh, by a fellow by the name of Stephen C. Myers, who's a, who's a PhD in science in philosophy from University of Cambridge. The title of his book is Signature in the Cell, DNA and the Evidence for Intelligent Design. It's got like over 500 pages. Wow. Yeah, it's a, anyway. Uh, he, he, he states, he rightly states that there isn't a single example in the history of the universe in which information has come from anything other than an intelligent source. Okay? he says um, he poses the question. If our genetic code contains information about moral truth, we still must ask the foundational question: What intelligent source provided this code? All code requires encoders. Well, we know who the writer of that code is, don't we? Paul tells us right here in Romans chapter 2. Stephen Myers writes, The self-evident nature of transcendent, objective, moral truth ought to cause us to seek an adequate explanation for the source of this moral reality. All laws require lawgivers. Transcendent, objective laws require transcendent, objective law givers. In other words, that's his fancy way of saying God. Evolutionary genetic processes, that's what your anthropologists and all these other guys are clinging their hopes on. Evolutionary genetic processes are clearly clearly an insufficient explanation for the moral reality we recognize and experience as humans. So this moral law did not evolve. It was encoded. It was, like Paul says, written on our consciences. Now, of course, that's how materialistic scientists want to approach it. They want to say we evolved to this. But what they leave out is that God is a composite, He's made up of a, He's a, he's a composite creature. He's got, yes, a body, but what else does He have? A spirit and a soul. So man is a spiritual entity, whether these guys like to admit it or not. We we are spiritual beings encased in a material world, is what we are. Man knows right from wrong. Because of this, and I'm going to use their word, this divine encoder. Because the divine encoder had written upon our consciences that it's wrong to murder. That it's wrong to steal, that it's wrong to lie, that it's wrong to cheat. It's wrong to dishonor your parents. They they just know this. What was written on the stone tablets is universal on the consciences of all people. Everywhere. Even a child, like my little granddaughter. Even a child knows when she has done something wrong nobody's taught her I mean how many times have you seen a kid especially on AFV you know their faces are covered in chocolate little Billy were you in the chocolate no where did they learn to do that that's that malware the issue was that without the true light the light that the man that man did have became to them darkness Because of the malware. Romans 1.21, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Unwilling to hold to the one true God, unwilling to hold Him in high esteem in their hearts and minds, by this failure to do so, it was reflected in their walk And so they walked in darkness, and God gave them over to that darkness. That's what they wanted. And God said, okay, if that's the way you want to go, that's the way you're going to go. Romans 1.28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. He couldn't convince them otherwise. And so he said, okay. What is a reprobate? That's someone who fails the test. That's someone who, who's unapproved because they failed the test. And what was the failure that brought them to this place? They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They did not like to retain God in... The, they chose their knowledge over knowing God just as the modern amoral Gnostic is attempting to do today. to reject the source of the true light that is God not willing to concede to the holiness of God like we studied about God gave them over to a reprobate mind that led to spiritual and moral uh, corruption that's that's where we're at today John 3.19 and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light and that's the problem that's the issue. They become comfortable in the darkness. And because they're comfortable in the darkness, they hate God who is light. The second uh, way that God had revealed himself is through the desire to worship. The, wor- the word is desire. Number two. Through the desire to worship. Acts 17.22 23, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, Him I declare unto you. In every culture that these guys, these, I call them muckrakers, in every culture that these guys have dug up, there is evidence of uh, worship, of some deity, of something. Of, of something or someone greater than themselves. Every culture. Every culture. Uh, one one uh, book I read, it said uh, spiritual beliefs can be dated back to the middle Paleolithic age. Or Stone Age that's the fancy word for stone age Uh, some 300,000 years ago at this time evidence has been found that early man began to ritually bury their dead with grave goods such as tools and food and weapons and extra clothing and with deliberate care suggesting a belief in the afterlife Okay, that's out of this book from this guy so, so three hundred thousand years ago, according to their timeline, there was this concept of an afterlife. Another 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 one another fellow said, um, in the Tsoldilo Hills of Botswana, South Africa, dating back some seventy thousand years, thirty thousand years earlier than any site found in Europe. There's a cave where evidence has been found of some form of worship to a deity. In this particular cave, there is a large rock shaped like a serpent. And there is evidence that this rock-like serpent was worshipped by the inhabitants of that area. Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Uh, You know, what's really intriguing... Is that on every continent where there's been a major civilization, there has been, from, from North and South America all the way across the world to, to, to the farthest end of Asia, there has been serpent worship. Serpent worship of some form, of some shape. On every continent, wherever, wherever there's a civilization, there has been serpent worship. Now, why do you think that is? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that what? Isn't that what um, Satan's desire was to be worshipped? Say something. Yeah, Uh, just real quick. You know, Saint Patrick's Day. We all think about Saint Patrick's Day, driving the snakes out. Yeah. He actually went there to destroy the sect of people that were worshiping. Yep. 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 Now, what do you think is the most prominent object worship in all of these cultures? the sun absolutely right, the sun the sun is the most prominent object of worship in all the cultures because they look at the sun as the source of light and life on earth hmm just short of the very one that they didn't want to retain in their knowledge right right uh, number three And this kind of ties in through an awareness, awareness of God. Awareness of God. John 1-8 says he, he was not that light, speaking of John the Baptist, but was sent to hear, to bear witness of that light, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Man, has, from a long time ago, has stared up into a star-filled sky at night and has a yearning in their hearts towards someone or something greater than themselves. I can remember as a lost man staring up into the sky at night Especially when you're away from the city lights. Have you ever looked at the sky away from the city lights? It is filled with stars. And I remember as a young man out there on those old gravel roads with my buddies looking up into the sky and saying to myself, not to my buddies because I didn't want to embarrass myself, there's got to be someone up there. There's got to be something more than this. Got to be. Got to be. What was that? That was an awareness. That was an awareness of, of God. A desire to be part of someone that is greater than yourself. You know what happens? People get educated out of that awareness. That's what your Gnostics all that's what they do. They educate that awareness out of you. And also Jeff, you look like what you're talking about. You look at all that you, you think it's like there's no way that's happened by accident. Yeah. This wasn't just a bunch of dust yeah. the bees that exploded into on each one of those, I yeah, I, I, I read another book uh, years ago and one of the things that he pointed out and he was a, what do they call him an astrophysicist he's the one who studies stars. he says out of all the sciences and disciplines, he says the one science, the one discipline that you'll find most of your folks who kind of question maybe there is a designer is folks who study the stars, folks who study the stars. Because, yeah, it just kind of, it all works in a certain, certain way. Yeah, order is a good word, isn't it? (laughs) So anyway, Socrates, the Greek philosopher, he often referred to God singular rather than what was popular in his day, God's. And that's what got him into some trouble. And um, in fact, Socrates himself reported being guided by an inner divine voice, the Logos, the Logos, uh, or right reason, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word is, that word, word, is the Greek word Logos, L-O-G-O-S, okay? But I need to make a distinction here. Okay, uh, when John uses the word logos, he's not using it as the Greek philosophers understand uh, the word logos. It's not the same. And I'll explain to you the difference. In Greek philosophy, the term logos is taught that it is the principle of reason or order eminent in the universe, the principle which imposes form on the material world and constitutes the rational soul of man. Uh, This reason is what they perceive as the word logos. Now, stop and think a minute. If you're paying attention, we hear this kind of verbiage today About what? Okay, the earth. The environment. environment. How about the universe? The universe, right? Um, We always, you know, we'll we'll hear something like, um, um, the universe has a plan. Or the universe will work it all out. And these are just quotes that I've taken from movies. Alright, that are popular. Um, or, uh, the universe has a much bigger plan for you and it will all work out for good. So whenever you hear a lost person say, well it will all work out for good, you know what they're referring to? The universe. The universe. The universe. Now John, he uses the word logos, the Greek word, I mean he wrote his gospel in Greek. And, uh, you, you know, you go pay uh, big money to these colleges, these seminaries and Bible colleges, and you'll have your modern religious liberal Gnostics teach you that this is what John's talking about. He's talking about this philosophical... Logos, and that's the that's the way he'll they'll present it. This philosophical logos, no different than what uh, what was that guy's name? Uh, Ron, help me. Who's Philo, who first started introducing philosophy into religion, followed by Origen, and and then uh, who followed or- Augustine, Eusebius. Eusebius? Yeah. So that's where it all came. So that's you're getting the same old refried beans. Okay? Uh, The true background of John's thought and language is not found in Greek philosophy, it's found in Hebrew scriptures. Alright? The Word of God in the Old Testament denotes God in action. Especially in creation, right? And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. That's the Word of God. As well as in Revelation, thus saith the Lord. Okay, or in deliverance, Psalms one hundred seven twenty, He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. In authority, Genesis twenty six three, I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. So in the Old Testament, of which John knows his Old Testament, when John mentions the word, there is a personal status to that word. It's not a concept. It's not this ethereal universe. It is God he's talking about. It is a it is is a real existence. not a concept. Not some idea. Not some sort of force of reason. It's not the universe. It is the Creator of the universe that John is talking about. First John uh, John 1:1 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him without him was not anything made that was made. There is no way in the world, Mr. Liberal Theologian, that you can get this impersonal reason out of that scripture verse unless you interject it yourself. Yeah, that's hard to misconstrue. Well, they do. I have read pages and pages and pages of these guys trying to explain their position. And it's a straw man. That which is true of the word in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ, is the personification of that word. The deeds and words of Jesus are the very deeds and words of God. That's why John says in John one eighteen that Jesus declared him. Jesus declared him. So on your study guide... We see creation, revelation, authority, and even deliverance in the light that is the Word. So creation, authority. John 1.7, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. So on your study guide, this is important for us as believers in Jesus Christ to know that the Word has come in the flesh. And there are some who falsely teach that this Logos is separate from Jesus. And it is the Logos or force of faith that is to be preached to not Jesus Christ. And that's what you get from your word of faith, Joyce Myers and Copelands and all these other guys. So, what are the answers here? Um flesh separate force. You know why do you think Star Wars and the Force Be With You have such an appeal to our culture? And it still does. It's because of this concept. Because they don't want to retain God in their knowledge. You know, it's a lot easier to get along in life with this impersonal force. Why is that? Because, well, you were not really accountable to this impersonal force, are we? John 1.18 says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. So in the visible Jesus, the Word, the invisible God, is brought forth to view. And you you find this awareness of God in all civilizations everywhere. Everywhere. I remember one time watching um, Jacques Cousteau, and he went down to the very tip of South America, to those um, um, Indian those Indian tribes down there. And uh, Jacques Cousteau thought he was going to be real smart, and he went up there and found this man in the village and you know he kind of laughed and he said you know he, he said to this this Indian fellow because he, he thought this man was so remote from civilization you know he said uh, you know where do you think all of this came from blah blah this and blah blah and what Jacques Cousteau was expecting to hear from this man is well it just happened well the man said well God put it together well, where did you get that idea? Who taught you that? He says, nobody taught it. It's just, it's just obvious. <laughs> you know, so I thought it was kind of cool. Ah, uh, so number four. I'm dating myself as Jacques Cousteau, aren't I? Number four, through his creation. Through his creation. Uh, Romans 1, 19-20. Isn't it funny how they're really attacking God as creator in schools, colleges, universities? Romans one nineteen 19 19-20. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Again, he's revealing himself. God is light, revealing himself. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, there's a whole different kind of teaching right there, as far as the invisible things from him are seen in the visible things, but we're not going to get into that. That would take me another three or four months, the way I go. Now, in his book, uh, Michael Denton wrote a book, Evolution, A Theory, and Crisis, And uh, he comes to this conclusion after researching and looking at all the arguments and evidence of evolutionary natural selection. And he writes, it would be an illusion to think that what we are aware of at the present is any more than a fraction of the full extent of, this is his words, biological design. Biological design. He goes on, he says, "In, in, in practically every field of fundamental... Biological research, ever-increasing levels of design and complexity are being revealed at an ever-accelerating rate. He says, The credibility of natural selection is weakened, therefore, not only by the perfection, not only by the perfection we have already glimpsed, but also by the expectation of further as yet undreamt of depths of ingenuity and complexity. Now, pay attention to the language he's using here. He says, To those who still dogmatically advocate that all this new reality is the result of a pure chance one can only reply like Alice, incredulous in the face of the contradictory logic of the Red Queen, in Alice in Wonderland, Alice laughed. There is no use trying. She said, One can't believe in possible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, said the Red Queen. When I was your age, I did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Now, to my understanding, when Michael Denton wrote this book, and I I read all the way through the book, and I read his conclusions and his summaries, when Michael Denton wrote this book, he was not a professing Christian. And from my understanding, he was not a Bible believer. But what Michael Denton was, it was that he was a research scientist, honest enough to admit the possibility of design. The possibility of an ingenuity behind everything that's around us. 1972. Something like that. Yeah. It was a while back. A more of yeah, well, remember I quoted that scientist, uh, George Wald. He says, when it comes to the origin of life, there are only two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation. He said, there is no third way. Spontaneous generation was, dis- was disproved 100 years ago by Louis Pasteur. He did an argument or he did an experiment to disprove this spontaneous theory. And then he, this George Wall, he says, but that leads us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. All right, this is an evolutionist saying this. This is what he says. He says, we cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible. That life arose spontaneously by chance. You see what they're doing. They are ignoring the light for their own light. In his book, A Brief History in Time, Stephen Hawking wrote... It would be very difficult to explain why the universe should have begun in just this way except as the act of a God who, int- who intended to create beings like us. And from my understanding, he died an atheist. But yet, he makes this statement. Yeah, in awareness in creation. So on your study guide... It's not that the evidence of a creator is not to be found in his creation. It's that man is unwilling to make the connection. Or unwilling to concede to the truth. They cannot accept it on philosophical grounds. It goes contrary to everything. That they stand for. And that's what makes men reprobate. That's where they fail the test. And that they refuse to acknowledge the truth. And choosing their own, what is Paul puts it? Their imaginations. Their own truth. Romans 122, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And then number five, I'm actually going to get done. Yeah. Number five, and this is a, this is a, I hate the term, this is a no-brainer. What is all of this leading up to, guys? It's kind of where I started. Number five, through the word of God. Surprise, surprise, right? Through the word of God. Romans 3, 4, God forbid, yet let God be true. But every man a liar, as it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Through his revelation, his word, both living and written, both are called light. You know, Jesus Christ and the written word. From this light we learn that God is pure, He's glorious, majestic, good, and he desires to have fellowship with man. In the garden, who hid from who? Exactly. In the garden, who was searching for who? Exactly. But another light, a lesser light, has been introduced into this relationship. Someone has programmed malware in this whole situation. Isaiah eight nineteen through twenty. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living, to the dead, to the law, and to the testimony? If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. I am spending all this time on this because I'm wanting to warn you about the immoral Gnostic that's out there today, not only in the secular, and we're so you know we're so quick to to find out the secular Gnostics, but it's the religious Gnostics in this latter period of the Laodicean age that is so influential, and we. As believers, suck it down like it's sweet tea. On your study guide, herein lies the issue. Men, whether lost or saved, harbor a love for the darkness. We do. We do. Though God who is light has communicated to man through his creation, his prophets and the word, through this awareness and his conscience, sending his only begotten son to, to die on the cross, you know, we think of the lost loving darkness, but let me tell you something guys, the we, you and I, we also have a love for darkness. We do. We have a love for darkness, and that's the issue. That's what gets in the way of our fellowship with God. We have to be honest about ourselves in this loving of the darkness, and we have to be willing to confess this about ourselves, this love of the darkness. It's the spirit of a contrite and sincere heart that God will always respond to. You'll know, always respond to that. Isaiah 66 2 says, For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. God desires to have fellowship with his people. That's not the issue. The issue is, is how much do God's people desire to have fellowship with God? Are you willing to confess the love of of the darkness that you have? And are you willing to repent of that love? Because that's the only way we're going to know the joy of fellowship with God that is light. The only way. And that's true of all of us. That's true of all of us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we're gonna next week or next time when we get together, we're gonna look at we're gonna look at a little deeper. We've looked at God as light, and we're gonna look at. The darkness. You got a blank? Yeah. Until we blank, blank, with the issue of darkness. No, I just said it. I'm sorry, I didn't point it out to you. Okay. Uh, until we personally deal. Oh, that's the sec. That's the third principle. Thank you so much. I almost uh, stopped with the third principle. This is the third principle of knowing fellowship with God. Until we personally deal, is your blank? With the issue of loving darkness rather than light, we will not experience the fullness of joy that is promised to those who walk in the light as he is in the light. So I kind of summarize that. I apologize for that. But that's personally deal with. And that's the issue that we all have. None of us are immune to that. We all wrestle with that. And until we are willing to be honest about ourselves in that matter, and willing to deal with ourselves in a biblical way in that matter, then uh, we won't come to know the, the the joy of fellowship that God says is ours to have. Okay, so let's go ahead and we'll close out in prayer, and be ready for the beginning of the vision conference. Let me get all my ducks in order. And let's see, I picked on Mitch last week, I believe. And Matt's hiding behind Sherry, so I'm going to pick on Matt. Matt, would you close it out in prayer, please? Thank you.